It's good to be back with you. We've been gone for five weeks. And when you haven't done something in five weeks, you wonder if you still know how to do it. So we will see. But we do have a special service today. Um, today we will, we will be ordaining and installing both ruling elders and deacons. And of course, that is a great time in the life of any church, a time of rejoicing and gratitude to God and his grace and his work in our midst. So if you have a Bible, now would be the right time to open it to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And we're going to read a few passages here uh, for the purpose of laying groundwork and biblical support for what we're about to do. Most of you are familiar that in Acts chapter 2 we have the um, once and for all non-repeatable event of Pentecost where Christ, having conquered death in the grave, ascended to the Father and poured out the Spirit of God upon the church and we get sort of a snapshot of the life of the early church in verses... 41 to 47. I know I didn't include four. Just listen to 41. You can read the rest on the overhead if you don't have a Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord. So those who received his word, that is the gospel, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, let me ask you to turn now to the book of Titus chapter 1 verse 3. Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, excuse me, verse 5. Paul, addressing Titus, says the following. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then finally, just again as a foundation for what we're looking at today, look back in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. This is part of Paul's farewell to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 28, Paul says the following. It'd be good if I was in chapter 20, I'm in 21. Now, chapter 20, 
I knew that didn't say what I thought. Here we go. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, as we take time today to look at how Christ rules his church, we pray that you would speak to us clearly and encourage our hearts and that you would um, enable the one who preaches today to be empowered by your spirit, to be given wisdom, and I pray not only for the one who speaks, but for those who hear, that you would prepare their hearts to receive the seed of the word of God, which brings forth life. And this we pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the book of church order says the session is to be convened. So if I have an elder not on the front row, I would ask you now to please come forward. Is there an elder... There's one, I believe I need one more. Current ruling elder, present ruling elder. Please come forward. They're going to sit by you, John. And the book of church order, which we heard about in Sunday school today, tells us that a sermon is to be preached on uh, the nature of how Christ rules his church and uh, things are to be preached regarding the offices in the church that we will be uh, ordaining and installing today. So in the life of every church, there are landmarks or what one may call watershed moments. And today is one of those moments for Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church. Five men today will be installed and ordained as elders, three as deacons. And this is both a sobering and a serious service, as well as a glorious and praiseworthy um, thing at the same time. Why is it sober and serious? Because if you understand the nature of what it means to be ordained, what it means to be set apart, what it means to be called to be an elder, what it needs not only for you to understand you've been called to that particular office or deacon, then you also understand that the church has recognized that call. They have voted, uh, therefore, acknowledging that you are to receive the office of both elder and deacon. And so this is a moment, though, for sober reflection. Because I want to tell you something. Those of you who are going to be ordained and installed today, this will change your life. And it will change your life in many, many ways. There's nothing glamorous (laughs) about being an officer in the church, is it, gentlemen, on the front row? And is it our present deacons as well? There's nothing glamorous about it. It is very, very challenging and hard work. And so as a result of that, Uh, it's good to stop and pause and say, a serious thing is about to happen here. 
Now, I love my father. My father is in heaven, my earthly father. And I only saw my dad cry two times in his life. One time was when my older brother, who was partially blind, was recognized as the base, best shortstop in baseball in our little hometown. And the second time I saw my dad cry and heard him cry was at my ordination. And my dad was an ordained man himself, not a pastor. He was a deacon. And he placed his hands on my head while I was being ordained. He laid hands on me with the rest of them. And I felt him shaking and crying. And you know what? Until that moment, I had no idea how serious what I was about to do. That's when it came home to me. Now, I'm not saying you've got to have emotional angels, goosebumps running up and down your back and hear angels' wings flapping in the background or anything like that. But this is a sober and serious calling. But it's also a wonderful and joyous celebration because God is at work. And so when we talk about adding officers to the church, we are recognizing that, first of all, we do not say we need this number of elders and this number of deacons. We preach and ask the people to identify qualified candidates, and apparently what God believes about our church right now is that we need five elders and three deacons, and we're excited about that. There's plenty of work to do, and these guys sitting over here in front of me look a little tired anyway. Now, it's so critical to the life and health of the church for the leadership to expand. A church can only grow so far as its leadership expands. That is the nature of the health and life of the church. And uh, no church is a one-man show, and if it is, that's uh, certainly not a biblical concept. Uh, the church, by the way, it's not my church, it's not your church, it's not our church, it's Christ Jesus' church. We are his body. He is the head. And so today, we're going to celebrate as we go through the process of doing uh, what we're going to do today in terms of ordination. Now, when thinking about how Christ rules his church, there are two things that immediately come to mind. And I want you to think together with me about this for a quick few moments. The first is the church is an organism. And so the first portion of this sermon will be talking about how the church is a living thing. The Bible tells us that the church is a temple made of what? Living stones. We who have been united to Christ by faith have looked outside of ourselves, turned away from control and the sin of our own lives and our attempts to justify ourselves, our attempts to measure up, achieve, uh, put God in debt to us so we'll have to bless us is over. We've turned away from that. We've turned to Christ. We've laid hold of him who is our great substitute who lived the life for us. We were required to live in order to enter his presence and who died the death we deserved because of our failure to live the life and our guilt before God. 
And so once that happens, the same act that sets me in relationship to Christ, in an organic relationship to him, he is uh, the vine, the true vine. We are the branches. We are connected by faith. And the life of God, his power, his spirit flows into us and brings about change. But then we are not only the same act, the reception of the Holy Spirit, that sets me in relation to Jesus, at the same time sets me in relation to his church. Now, you want to get my dander up. You want to you make me mad. Bad mouth the church. The church is Christ's body. We are his bride as ugly and sinful <laughs> and failing as we may be. We are his bride. We are his joy. He looks at us as precious to himself. And so the church is an organism. I'll say a little bit more about that. Then I'm going to talk about the church as organized. So the church is really an organized organism. There's the life of God within us, but there has to be in the body of Christ some kind of stabilization, some kind of structure, some kind of skeleton to protect the church from everything that could possibly happen. And so those two things held in tension by the Holy Spirit is what makes a church a church. I myself have planted two churches from the ground up. I planted this particular church in 1988, left this church in 1994, moved to New Orleans, Louisiana, planted another church, stayed there 10 years, and then the Lord called me to come back here. So I have learned in the process, once you plant a church, you become aware of what the church is and what makes a living, dynamic church. And so, let's go over these quickly because we have a lot to do in the next few moments. The church's organism. When Acts, the book of Acts, describes the life of the church, it does so in organic terms. On the day of Pentecost, the church was launched and the number of disciples increased. The church grew, it spread, the word of God grew in power, and it's increased. And the gospel, which contains in itself the power of God unto salvation, brought about efficaciously what it called for, faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And so the church is a body of people connected to its Savior, and there is an organic, efficacious, dynamic power operating in the church. Very little institutional support in the opening pages of the book of Acts. Acts is sort of a transitional book. And so we begin to see the life of God developed in the life of his church, but there were no spelled out specific strategic plans or command and control of others and yet, even though the power operates spontaneously, it does so. And so there is a visible ardor in the church. The gospel itself creates what it calls for. When you hear someone preach the gospel, the gospel is not a message about power. The gospel itself is power. And the gospel itself speaks to you. 
and works in your life and brings about dynamic change. You should be electrified, vitalized, nourished, encouraged, lifted up, given hope, given peace, given love by simply believing the gospel. All those things are gospel realities coming to you. The problem is, often, is that many churches who are orthodox in their theology, many churches that are sound in what uh, their statement of faith may say or in other matters relating to solid teaching and doctrine, and yet at the same time, there's a deadness about that church. That's called dead orthodoxy. Not my term, Martin Lloyd-Jones coined it years ago in a book he wrote on revival. And Lloyd-Jones noticed that in some churches who are as orthodox as you're going to get, orthodox means right praise or right belief. They have everything about them that says they are a sound, solid church, but there's no life in it. You can ice skate down the aisles. It's cold. There's no rejoicing. There's no sign that the gospel is working powerfully in that particular church. And so every church is an organism, and that organism needs to be fed regularly. The word of God, the truth of God, the sacraments, and the gospel of God. To nourish it, to strengthen it, to encourage it, to provide life. But the church isn't merely an organism. Because as we looked at the book of Titus, we saw that Paul had the discernment to recognize that churches need leadership. And so he told Titus to appoint elders. And so church government began piece by piece to arise in these churches in the book of Acts who were demonstrations of the power of the gospel of God and now order was being brought. Organization came. Now, I must tell you, I grew up in the 60s, man. <laughs> and the thing we didn't like about culture and the world was organization. We didn't want anybody, anybody that had to do with the man telling us what to do. And I have to tell you, I'm the last person in the whole world who ever believed he'd be Presbyterian. Because there's a lot of checks and balances in this stuff. There's, there's a lot of stuff in it that an old pioneer like me had to repent of a great deal of sin and humble myself to see that I needed accountability. I needed people to answer to. I needed uh, what God has provided in his church. Otherwise, if you have no government in the church, if you have no officers in the church, if you have no people providing oversight in the church, then you may be alive, but you're just a pile of sloppy agape. That's about all you are. <laughs> so the church needs more than that. The church needs structure. And structure is important. Emotionalism will not carry the day. The church, as organized, is important. So Paul is careful to appoint elders. In the book of Acts, chapter 6, we see the origin of the diaconate. We see that Paul is careful to appoint elders and deacons who are qualified uh, 
Paul knew that these dynamic, spontaneously growing churches needed to have authority and structure as a way of ensuring the members would embody the church's apostolic, inherited teaching and purpose, that the church would be stabilized, that there are enemies to the church, and there are enemies that we fight, and there is a personal devil who has agents who work for him called demons who are out to steal and kill and destroy God's people. And so we need protection. We need uh, people to nurture us, to tend over us, and to care for us. And so from beginning of the church, both organism and organization are grounded in God's word. And the Holy Spirit it is the spirit who makes the church both a vital organization and a structured organization as well. A vital organism and a structured organization at the very same time. Now, I do not believe any person has the ability to maintain that stability and balance. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We do not create unity, but rather we maintain the bond of the unity within the church. God's spirit creates both because both are essential. Sometimes the ministries that directly produce converts and change lives are seen as those that are much more spiritual and important than the ministries of things like administration, ongoing ministries in the church, church discipline, church management, member assimilation, fiduciary responsibility, that is how the church manages resources, building maintenance. It's difficult to keep and cultivate both order and ardor in the church, but both are necessary. And what I saw when I, this will be the last I'll say before I start talking about the offices. What I saw is a church planter trying to start with a group of people and see the Lord form them into a fully living, functional church. What I saw was how much in the beginning, we were kind of like the church in Acts. We had a lot of life, but when people would ask me, they'd say, well, where's your church? I said, well, we don't have a place. Well, who is the pastor? Well, I am. Well, and they start asking me all these programs, do you have this, do you have that, do you have the others? And I began to see the value and necessity of the church as organized, the church as structured. Now, you can fall off either way. You can fall off either way. Somebody asked me, well, what, what would you rather have, the church as organism or organization? And the answer is yes, both. Ask me which wing of the airplane I would like to fall off, and I would tell you neither. We need both. And so today, we're going to be ordaining and installing new officers, which I see as pertaining to both the organism and the organization of Christ's church. So how is the church led? For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given me as a wise master, I built a foundation, or I laid a foundation, another is building upon it. Let 
each man be careful how he builds upon it. God's plan for leadership revealed in the scripture was he launched the church by giving certain individuals specific gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These believers under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God initiated the Christian movement and brought local churches into existence through their teaching and preaching. Then we see the Apostle Paul, which we read earlier in Titus, say, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. As churches were established in the faith, more than one person became qualified. Elders were appointed to continue the pastor teaching ministry in each local church. To the elders was given the ultimate responsibility for the oversight of that particular church body and the shepherding of its members. And so elders, uh, I'll leave the Greek at home, presbyteros, but that's the word we get elder from. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So uh, you need to listen to Christian Sunday school class today because I'm kind of piggybacking off of some of that. Going to be a little shorter. But to say we recognize two classes of elder in this church. There are teaching elders and there are ruling elders. I am a teaching elder. Christian will soon be ordained as well. He is a teaching elder. Uh, the five men we see sitting on the front row, they are ruling elders. What are the roles of elders in the church? They are to shepherd the flock. They are to serve in all humility. humility. Elders are to guide, direct, guard, and protect the members of the body, seeking to meet their needs and assist in any way possible, warning against harmful influences and guarding against false teachers. Elders are to lead through example. They are to provide a scriptural role model of what it is to set a pattern before the flock of a rightly ordered life with a single purpose to glorify God. Elders are to teach and exhort. Elders are to see that the flock is fed through insightful and accurate biblical instruction and admonition. Elders are to refute those who contradict the truth. Elders are to be uh, confronting to those who are teaching what they should not teach or who are continuing a pattern of behavior contradictory to biblical truth. Thus, the elders are to keep closing potential entrances for Satan so that the truth of Christ will remain credible to both the congregation and the community. The Bible says, among from your own self will arise men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Manage the church of God. Elders are to oversee the life of the church with the assistance of the deacons and other godly leaders. They must be people who can rule well. Pray for the sick. Elders are to pray for the spiritual and physical well-being of the members of the congregation. Now, what are some of the qualifications to be an elder? I'm going to be quick here, but uh, we've been over this before. But again, that's what our book of church order instructs us to do. Number one, you're to be above reproach. Now, what does it mean to be above reproach? Does that mean that everybody today that we're going to ordain and install in this church doesn't sin anymore? 
I wish it were so, but no. That is not what we're saying. What we are saying is there are above reproach in the fact that no one can ever point a finger at them and say, you did this either to me or you did this to someone else and you never made it right. You never took responsibility for it. You never repented of it. You never renounced it. You never humbled yourself. And so to be above reproach means that no, not that you're sinless, but that you cannot be charged with not um, dealing with those areas in which you failed. An elder is to be a husband of one wife. That is, elders are to be devoted spouses. They are to be a one-woman kind of man. You hear what I said? One woman kind of man. When you look at an elder, he shouldn't have eyes for anyone but his beloved. No one but his beloved. No one but his wife. Ever. No tolerance there. Elders are to be temperate, that is self-controlled, enslaved to nothing, free from excess. They're to be prudent, sober, sensible, wise, balanced in judgment. Not given to quick, superficial decisions based on immature thinking. Respectable elders must dis, uh, demonstrate a well-ordered life and good behavior. Hospitable elders must be unselfish with their personal resources. Uh, apt to teach or able to teach. Elders must be able to communicate the truth of God and exhort sound doctrine in a non-argumentative type of way. Not addicted to wine. Elders are to be free from all addictions and must be willing to limit their liberty at times for the sake of the weaker brother. Elders are not to be pugnacious. Elders are to be gentle and characterized by forbearance and tenderness, not having a quick temper. You cannot be a hothead and be an elder. Elders are to be uncontentious. That is, they're not always stirring up quarreling and selfish argument. Free from the love of money. They're not to be stingy, greedy, or out for sordid gain. Uh, manage your own household. Elders must have a well-ordered household, a healthy family life, and well-behaved children, and that pertains to those children still under the authority of their parents. Not a new convert. Elders must not be new believers. Good reputation with outsiders, respected even by unbelievers, free from hypocrisy. Not self-willed, not stubborn, insensitive, or prone to force opinion on others. Not quick-tempered, lovers of what is good, just, fair, and impartial, devout, continually desiring to be separated from sin, devoted to prayer, the study of the Word of God, and the guarding of their own spiritual heart, and holding fast to the faithful Word. Now, I would venture to say, that in all my years of being an elder, as a teaching elder, and seeing elders, does anybody actually measure up 100% to everything I just said? What do you think? The only one who did was Jesus. And Jesus did that for us. That does not mean these things are not important. 
They are markers. I ask you, are these men moving in that direction? Is the tenor of their lives moving in that direction? And then secondly, the office of deacon. And deacons are very important to the life of the church. And let me say that deacons are not junior elders. <laughs> deacons are not inferior to elders. We have a whole different thing we do. Elders have to do with shepherding the church. It's an office of authority. Deacons, the very word deacon itself means to minister or serve. Deacons serve the body. And so deacons are extremely important to the life of the church as the church interacts and interfaces among itself and to the community. And so in Acts chapter 6, the Bible says the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among your brothers seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who may, we may put in charge of the task. And so when it became necessary in time, deacons were chosen to serve the church in the areas of ministries that would distract the elders, teaching and ruling, and other leaders from performing their biblical responsibility to teach the word of God and equip Christians for service. These leaders, along with all members of each local body, form a unique organism, a visible functioning expression of the church. We recognize this pattern for the plurality of godly leadership. So, what is the biblical role of deacons? Deacons are to serve under the direction of the elders, undertaking those areas of service necessary for the church's functioning that would otherwise prohibit the elders and other leaders from performing their biblical responsibilities. No specific ongoing roles are mentioned in Scripture probably because service needs change and so the roles of deacons should be flexible. Perhaps that's why the qualifications for deacons are stressed rather than specific tasks. By contrast, the function of the elders is more stabilized for spiritual needs are relatively constant. So what are the qualifications for those who are to be deacons in Christ's church? They are to be individuals of dignity. They are to be mature, of sound mind and character, yielded to the Holy Spirit. They are not to be double-tongued. Deacons must demonstrate verbal consistency. They must be prone to saying one thing to what must not be prone to saying one thing to one person is something to somebody else. Not addicted to wine, same as the elders free from addiction, not fond of sordid gain, must be purely motivated in their service, holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. Deacons must have a sound knowledge of Christian truths and a lifestyle that accords with that. They must not be easily swayed from the truth. Beyond reproach, a lifestyle free from the ongoing patterns of spiritual disobedience, and to be uh, first tested. They are to be proven over time that they are faithful and that their walk is credible. Also notice that uh, the spouses of deacons are also addressed. Their spouses must be faithful, dignified, temperate, not malicious gossips. Why do you think that would be said about a deacon's wife? 
Because the deacon's wife, more than likely, will be in on a lot of juicy gossip because of the nature of the service that elders render. And so I think that's probably why deacons must have spouses that are devoted to the Lord, yielded to the control of the Spirit. They are to be the husband of one wife, devoted spouses. They are to manage their households well. Now, this is what we are here to do today, is to recognize and ordain and install deacons and elders. And so the next step in the process would be to have our current elders please come forward and stand up here to my right. Now, would those who have been elected, both ruling elders and deacons, please come forward. And would you come up here and stand in front of these guys? Be the last time you'll get to do that. Now, is everyone in place? There is. Now, the first thing that I will do, and I think it's going to be on the overhead, is ask questions of the individuals. Uh, these are vows or oaths or promises they are making to the Lord and to you, the church. So those of you, not the current elders, but the new ones and the new deacons, would you please answer the following questions in the affirmative. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Yes. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will on your own initiative make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Yes. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Yes. Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life? and set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer. Yes. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Yes. You know what that means? It means sometimes you'll get outvoted. And that means you can't pout. And you can't go stir up trouble because you didn't get what you wanted. That's what that means. Just thought I'd tell you because you already said yes to it. 
And finally, do you promise to strive for the peace, purity, unity, and edification of the church? Then, to the congregation, I'm going to ask you this question, and you are to respond to it by lifting your right hand. Okay, you got it? Those of you who are members at Spring Meadows, do you, the members of the church, acknowledge and receive these brothers as ruling elders and deacons, and do you promise to yield to them all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which their office according to the word of God and the constitution of the church entitles them. Thank you. Now, this time we're going to lay hands upon you. Who in this group has already been ordained? You? You as deacon? Okay, and you as deacon. Okay, since you're being an elder, we're going to ordain you for that. We're going to the only one I guess you've been ordained as a deacon, Mark, right? Oh, okay. Well, then you get to kneel. You don't have to kneel, Ron, but but you could if you want to. Would you, gentlemen, kneel, please? At this time, I would like to ask our current session as well as myself, to lay hands on you and see if we can spread out and cover each man with at least one elder. Please lay hands upon these men. Thank you. And we will now pray together. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, who is sovereign over all, We praise you for your wisdom and for your um, majesty and your glory in ordaining your church for the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you for your goodness on this day and we continue to long for your loving kindness. Lord, we do pray for these men that you would sanctify them. Visit, we pray. SMPC with your love and favor and prepare the hearts to receive the word. Enlighten their minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Increase them in true godliness. Nourish them with all goodness. And of your great mercy, keep them in the unity of the spirit and in the bonds of love through Jesus Christ our Lord. With you and the Holy Spirit, we worship and glorify as one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. This time, the elders will extend to you the right hand of Christian fellowship. So would you guys, I believe you can get up, turn around, and let's do some handshaking. There you go. I get you. Bless you. (laughs) Now, only thing left is like a wedding ceremony to pronounce as husband and wife. Only we're not going to do that. That way, we are going to pronounce. So, would the men who are being ordained and installed today please 
get back together in the group, and let me say the following. We have given you the right hand of fellowship to take part in this office with us. I now pronounce and declare that Andrew Crawford, Paul Hiles, Ryan Roper, Richard Salinas, and Ron Warren are now, uh, as elders, ordained and installed, and as deacons, Mark Baltazar, Joshua Barnhart, and Jeff Williams. Now pronounce that the men named have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as ruling elder and deacon in this church, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, they are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can applaud. When you get ordained in a Presbyterian church, we ain't playing. We're serious, okay? And you have witnessed a wonderful thing. Now, uh, Dan Phillips will come and charge the new elders, and then after Dan finishes charging the new elders, Guy Williams will then charge the deacons. Please remain standing. Nice. Brothers, as I thought about something useful to say, I came up with the best thing I could say, which is the apostolic admonishment. This comes from the Apostle Paul. This is a mashup of uh, Acts chapter 20 and 1 Peter 5, as Paul is getting ready to go his way and enter the kingdom to come and saying goodbye to these folks. Hear this word for you. As a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and a partaker of the glory to be revealed, I appeal to the elders among you. Proclaim the whole counsel of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, watching over them, not out of compulsion, because it's God's will. Not out of greed, but out of eagerness. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. A couple other points. Your office is ministerial and declarative. You are a servant to Christ's flock. Uh, you don't come up with your own wisdom. You are rather ministering the wisdom that you declare. So, know the gospel well yourself. Preach it to the congregation the best that you can, or share it and teach it to the congregation as best as you can. And where you fail, also remember that gospel is true for you. Bless you. To the deacons, brothers, you are called to proclaim the gospel in word and deed, to serve the community in which we live, bringing the church the needs and hopes of all the people. You are to work with your fellow members in searching out the poor and weak, the, seek, the, the sick and lonely, those who are oppressed and powerless. 
reaching into the forgotten corners of the world with the love of God so that it may be made visible. Therefore, we charge you this morning before God and the Lord Jesus Christ to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, be a servant unto all, that in losing your life you may indeed find it. Remembering Jesus' words that whoever gives one of these to these little ones, even a cup of water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This time I will have all you gentlemen to be seated, please. And with the deacons who are going to receive the offering, please come forward. And would the music team please get back in place because we're going to sing, we're going to receive an offering, we're going to sing a song and then have communion. Those are the next three items that we're going to be involved in this very special service.